0: War is afoot. I am to inherit the Iron Throne. She will
1: block my way.
0: Hello, and welcome back to Still Watching, the television podcast from Vanity Fair. We cover entire seasons of the hottest shows on television, and right now, we are diving deep into the hottest one of them all, House of the Dragon, the Game of Thrones prequel series on HBO. I'm Josh Wigler, and to discuss House of the Dragon Episode 6 with me, I am joined once again by Richard Lawson. Richard, hello. It feels like it's been 10 years
1: since last we talked. I promise the listeners we are the same people who were on this podcast <laughs> last Just week, played by
0: different yeah. podcasters.
1: <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, it does. Yeah, the, we we had a big time jump, um, and some of my predictions about what what was uh, that was going to look like were proved very wrong. Um, but it's an exciting. I feel like we're. Kind of starting to watch a new show almost.
0: It does feel a little bit like a second pilot here in House of the Dragon. And I do not think coincidentally it is once again directed by Miguel Sapochnik, outgoing co showrunner here on House of the Dragon and an iconic director in the Game of Thrones franchise. Is once again behind the camera on this episode, episode six The Princess and the Queen, uh, a very aptly titled episode of House of the Dragon, Richard.
1: Yes. And had I seen that title before watching the episode, I would have been like, oh, OK, so Rhaenyra is not going to be queen when this <laughs> when this episode starts, which is what Ooh. I assumed was going to happen.
0: Well, if we had watched the trailer for this episode after episode five, uh, I think some of our predictions probably would have been very, very different. Uh, I don't know if you caught that at all, Richard, but HBO really just decided to let everybody know that Viserys was going to be fine.
1: Uh <laughs> Oh, so, okay. Well, I right didn't there, watch that. Yeah. <laughs> and the minute he walked out, I was like, oh, okay. I spent maybe 20 minutes talking on this podcast last week about what his death meant. And uh, he's still alive, just minus an arm.
0: Minus an arm, but still standing uh, as Viserys Targaryen, 10 years down the road. At least he's alive. He doesn't look great, but he looks a lot better than I think both of us thought perhaps he would look 10 years down the future.
1: Yeah, the the oozing sores seem to have gone away, so that's that's good at least.
0: Gone away or at least covered up. Uh, so <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> he
1: found some new makeup from across the narrow sea that really works with his skin tone. And
0: I have to tell you, I hope we never solve this one. Uh, I would like to never know if it's still there or not, yeah. but. We shall see as we are moving into a decidedly new era for House of the Dragon. Uh, Much much has been made about the fact that there was going to be a major time jump here in House of the Dragon, that there was going to be a big shuffling of the main cast of House of the Dragon. And indeed, we have arrived at that moment as we have said goodbye to Millie Alcock, who is no longer playing Rhaenyra Targaryen. Emily Carey no longer playing Queen Alicent. We have Emma Darcy in the role of Rhaenyra and Olivia Cook leading the way as Alicent moving forward. Um, before we even break down the episode scene by scene, Richard, which we will definitely do, I wanted to get your top down takes on this. How you're feeling about the new Rhaenyra and Alicent, how this is sitting with you. I think that this has been among my biggest questions about House of the Dragon mm-hmm. is, how is this recasting going to sit with folks? So the floor is yours, my friend. How, how are you feeling about this?
1: I feel pretty good, you know. Um, I I had never seen Millie Alcock in anything before, and so I was really pleasantly surprised by what a good actor she is. And I, I kind of assumed that she was like seventeen, but she's actually in her twenties. Um, so she could have played slightly older, I suppose. But the minute you see Emma Darcy, you're like, okay, this is an older woman now. Like, you know, she this is like a full adult. Yeah. Um. So the replacement does make sense. And then Olivia Cook, uh, it, it's been a you know one of those kind of you're happy to see her in a movie or a TV show for years now. So um, I think they're really good. And that's not a knock on the previous actors who were both great. Um, But I, yeah, the thing I was nervous about, which is what I'd be kind of like watching a whole different character. um, I think they've done the continuity pretty well.
0: I think so too. And I'm, I'm obviously biased because I know the characters really well from having read fire and blood. The book this show is, is based on. Uh, So I have the, I have the arcs of these characters fairly clearly in mind for myself. So I can see the trajectory from Millie Alcock to Emma Darcy, pretty easily, and from Emily Carey to Olivia Cook as well. But I think that the the um, like a lot of solid bedrock right exists in those earlier performances that allows for these new versions of these characters to thrive in this episode. But I also think just the 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 the, the performances themselves of what Emma Darcy and Olivia Cook are bringing to the table as uh, Rainier and Allison so strong in their own right. I'm to understand that there were really no meetings, no conversations between the two generations of these characters. Um, so that's fairly impressive to me. Yeah. Um, I think it speaks a lot to the clarity of the writing of the characters as well. Uh, I feel yeah. like in, in that regard, Richard, it doesn't feel like it really missed a beat. And once again, we've, we've talked about this a little bit on the podcasts as well. There is sort of this frozen in amber quality about some of the enmity that exists between these characters from when we last saw them, to where we pick up a decade down the line.
1: Yeah, it's just kind of compounded and festered. And, and, yes. But it's interesting to find, you know, throughout this episode, an Alicent who has hardened from the sort of more innocent person she was uh, before the time jump. Whereas I kind of feel like Rhaenyra, in some ways, has kind of softened a little bit. She's, she's not quite as impetuous or whatever, because she's grown up and matured a bit and also had a decade or however long of that in that kind of waiting room wondering like when when am I actually going to take throne if I do at all right um so it's interesting to see them almost flipped a little bit but but still feeling like the people that we just spent five episodes with
0: yeah another question that I I have uh, and I I don't I don't have the answer to this one so I'm curious to get your take and to talk it through do you get the sense that Rhaenyra and Alicent have had a major conversation about. Hey, I thought we were doing all right. What happened? Uh, you know, when when we're kind of seeing them in this in this episode, I don't get the sense that Rhaenyra has a ton of information as to why Alicent really so strictly turned against her.
1: Yeah, that's a good point um, because obviously we know what 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 allison's you know her grudge is, but yeah, I'm not sure. Uh, it doesn't seem from the context clues we have in this episode. It seems like basically most of their interactions are sort of forced by Queen Allison um, or during, um, you know, the King's council yeah. meetings, which they both seem to be on. Um, but, but that's in front of other people. So they have to at least abide by some stiff formality, um, some pl- pleasantry. Um, but yeah, I kind of feel like when they don't have to be together, like if they haven't been, one of them hasn't been summoned or whatever, they just don't speak.
0: Yeah. Um, well, I'm going to be really curious to know what everyone else out there thinks about the recasting. If you are immediately gripped by these new versions of Rainier and Allison, or if it was a little whiplashy for you, write in. We would love to hear that feedback. Stillwatchingpod at gmail.com. That's the way to get a hold of us. Stillwatchingpod at gmail.com. Let us know what you think of the new Rainier, the new Allison. We would love to get those takes from you for the podcast next week. Um, Richard, I think it's time to dig into mm-hmm. the Princess and the Queen episode six. Let's take a very quick break, uh, and then we will hop all the way in back to Westeros ten years down the line. Stay tuned. I'm Nomi Fry, and this week on Critics at Large, we're talking about the delights and shortcomings of the new movie Challengers. It starts
1: in Dea at the center of a tennis triangle and a very steamy love triangle. Who are her loyalties to? Will she be tempted by the other one? How do these guys reckon their professional playing ambition with their romantic and sexual feelings about this mysterious woman? And such we have it. We have a conflict between three people in a game meant for two.
0: Is it a sports movie or a sex movie? Find out on Critics at Large from The New Yorker. New episodes drop every Thursday wherever you get your podcasts. All right, Richard. Ten years, ten long years have passed since that horrible wedding. Uh, since uh, uh, the wedding that uh, that shall be—is uh, the green wedding? Is that what we're calling it? You think moving forward? Yeah, that, that that works. The green wedding works for us. Ten years down the line, and we are brought back into House of the Dragon with yet another laborious labor scene here
1: <laughs> on House of the Dragon. Your home. Yeah, what a what a what a brutal parallel <laughs> to the first half of this season. Um but a really effective way to just throw us in in medias race into the the new time, you know. Um uh, there's struggle but there's also change and growth and development uh in the form of, you know, all of these children that now exist and are old enough to well, do things on windowsills, but we can talk about that later. Oh, <laughs> yeah, uh,
0: the longer we can go without having to talk yeah. about that one, uh, I would, I would love to make it a good chunk of time before we have to get there. But we do have to get there. But we begin with with Rhaenyra is uh, in uh, in the middle of giving birth to her new baby son who is going to be named Joffrey after her husband Lanor's late lover who we lost at the end of episode five. Um, but before he even gets a name, before we even have Lanor meet the child, Richard, we have the baby in the world for all of what? 10 seconds before the command of the queen to present the child to her immediately comes down the pipeline.
1: Yeah. Partly, I think just to fuck with her, but also yep. obviously, Allison has to keep an eye on every one of these kids, you know, because as she says later, like, like th- th- this is now in play, like we are in this now. And, um, you know, was she inspecting the baby to see, Oh, maybe it's frail. Maybe it's this, maybe it's that. I don't know. But like, it's also just, yeah, an exertion of control. And, um, clearly Rainiera doesn't want to be the the weaker party. So she drags herself out and it's a really brutal, long <laughs> extended kind of walk. Uh, up to the the king's chambers and um you know i i felt it It, it's almost like a version of the shame shame walk
0: (laughs) yeah i think that's a really good pull uh you know it sort of has that uh that west wing vibe the westeros wing of the walk and talk through the hallway but with such a game of thrones spin on it uh you know she has just finished giving birth to this child and she is immediately on her feet uh, a, a line that I really appreciated in this moment is one of the people who was there helping her deliver the child says, you should remain in bed. She says, yeah, I should. Um, <laughs> yeah. But, she, but she can't, you know, because the the stakes are are too high. And you have to imagine at this point, Rhaenyra knows that um, Allison's eyes are on these children. As we're going to get deeper into this episode very soon here, in fact, Allison is looking to see who do these children look like? Do they look like your husband, Rhaenyra, or do they look like somebody else who might have a role to play here in King's Landing? Um, she is very invested in that, and I think Rhaenyra's protectiveness of the secret uh, is uh, rightfully placed uh, and needs to be around for this introduction of her of her child to someone who used to be her best friend and has quickly become her worst enemy.
1: Yeah, and Allison isn't really subtle about that. I mean, she literally says to Lenar, like. Well, keep trying. Maybe one of them will look like you someday. Yeah. Straight out of the book. That one. Yeah. Oh, is it really? Yeah. It's a good line and well delivered. And and yeah, I mean, I I think the interesting thing about Allison, you know, her knowledge of this, I mean, it's it's pretty much an open secret, it seems like uh, among the, you know, these very elite few um, about about the parentage of Rainier's kids. But um, that is a really dangerous cudgel to be even, you know, even gesturing toward not she's not wielding Allison isn't wielding it yet, but like. You know, it, it's interesting to see her um, kind of committed to the stakes of this, you know, so-called game, um, which are pretty deadly. And, and the Allison we saw before the time jump wasn't quite there. And she seems to have gotten there now. And I, I think it, it complicates an already interesting character.
0: She had just shown up to that place, right? You know, she yeah. just got there. She put the green dress on. She yeah. signaled for war. She maybe recruits Sir Kristen. It certainly seems by this episode and the relationship they have that Kristen is very much Team Allison. Ten years down the line, um, but yeah, this is what ten years of that mood looks like. Uh, you know, yeah. you you said festering, uh, and I and I think that that's absolutely right. The seething resentments that have built to this place. Allison is a lot more comfortable in the viewpoint. Uh, I don't know if comfortable is the right word, but is a lot more fixed in the viewpoint of, frankly, her father. That conversation that her father had with her at the start of Episode 5 is going to be very much reflected in the conversation that Allison has with her son, Aegon, on the other side of that scene that I don't want to talk about until we absolutely have to talk about it. Um, but it is, it is really interesting the way that she's kind of becoming her dad in certain regards.
1: Yeah, which was probably inevitable. I mean, I guess one strategy for her would just be kind of like shrink into the background. You know, right. I've been watching a lot of Survivor lately. Ooh, look you, at you! Yeah, and and there are the people who get toward to the end because they just kind of coasted or they hid behind someone, and there are the people who make strategic moves. And it seems like Allison has definitely chosen the latter. Yeah, um, and the the, the thing with Kristen is interesting because I don't even feel like he's pro Allison. He's just really anti Ranera, and. Uh, but that that works, you know, it does the trick, but he does have to catch himself sometimes with his aggression because I think there is still in Allison some old pri- sort of primal affection for her old friend. And um, I'm just really curious to see how that develops, if they'll ever be aligned at any point by the end of this season or next season or whatever, because I think there's still something, a connection there.
0: Doesn't feel like a final two deal uh, showing up between <laughs> Allison and Rainier anytime right. soon, yeah. I have to say. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, uh there's a Joffrey Probst joke in here somewhere, <laughs> somewhere. but I just we'll I can't there. quite get it. Um so Lane gonna join Rhaenyra on this long walk to Queen Alicent. Uh some some dialogue that I thought was was pretty biting. Uh Sarah Hess is the is the credited writer of this episode of House of the Dragon, uh, where he asks her, Richard, was it terribly painful? Uh is his first question. <laughs> yeah. And he tries to relate by saying, I took a
1: lance through the shoulder once um yeah, and she's like my condolences yeah
0: my but, deepest sympathies
1: <laughs> i, I, I like the way that 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 their relationship has developed too yes you know there's obviously some resentment it's not jealousy on rhaenyra's part it's more of an out roll of the eyes at all of Lenor's, you know kind of antics but there is they are definitely back to survivor they are in an alliance yes and and they know that and i think that that has over the years bred some affection yeah for sure
0: uh, so they make it to Allison's chambers. They get past a very curt nod from Kristen Cole, uh, the most together he seems in this episode. And Alison, uh, she is really playing the part. Rhaenyra, you should be resting. Uh, and uh, she, she gets her a cushion. She allows her to sit down. And here comes old King Viserys, uh, the new old king on the block, down one arm. Um... What do you think he's gonna be missing next week, Richard? It feels like every we're just yeah. shrinking away this guy.
1: Maybe his hair. I mean, that yeah. looks like it's almost gone anyway. It's on um, its way. But yeah, I mean it's it's interesting. I, I really did think we were done with him. Um, but that he's still around is i I kind of like because, you know, he he hasn't really learned from his past. Like he's, he, you know, he's kind of a sentimental guy. He's, he's kind of a softy in his way. And like, clearly that's still a big part of him, but that fact that, that functions more interestingly now because his, well, his daughter and and his wife uh are, are now old enough that they can be sort of the aggressive ones. And he can really just, you know, be in that sort of grandpa role. Um, But he's not, you know, toothless. So I'll be curious to see how he factors into things.
0: He isn't, but he is. As he's going to be, uh, I believe the phrase "willfully blind" gets bandied mm. about twice in this episode, and at least once that is applied uh, to Viserys himself. Seemingly, the only person in Westeros who does not know that Breakbones is the true father of these children. Um, and as you mentioned earlier, Allison is going to look at the at the child uh, after Viserys has said, "Oh, he has your nose," uh, to Sir Uh Allison is going to look at the child. And tell Laner sooner or later, you will make one that looks like you. Very, very loaded line.
1: Yes, yes. Especially, um, you know, with the, the casting, you know, we have black actors on here. And yes. the, one of them is, is Rainier's husband. And uh, obviously, that would be an indicator of something, I would think. But um, I, I don't know that the show is ever going to address that, that kind of matter. But um, it is it adds an interesting texture to everything.
0: When Rhaenyra and Laenor get back to their chambers, we get to meet uh, her two oldest children, her two oldest sons, uh, Jocerys, a.k.a. Jace, and Lucerys, a.k.a. Luke. Uh, Just easy enough to go with Jace and and Luke. And certainly that's how they're going to be mostly referred to on the show. And now they have a younger brother of their own. And we're really meeting the full family uh, because we are getting reintroduced to Sir Harwin Strong, a.k.a. Breakbones. Um, were you surprised at his, his role in this? And I guess my question also, to put a, more of a point on it, is did the show up to this point, through five episodes, do enough to establish Breakbones for you that his role in this episode, forget his introduction here as the father of these children, but the emotional beat at the end of the episode of losing this man, um, mm. was enough of that work done for you to really get invested here?
1: I don't think so, honestly. Yeah, I, think that I think that's it, fair. If I hadn't talked to you for this podcast and you kind of were like, yeah, the, the, that's an interesting family to pay attention to, um, I think he wouldn't have registered at all. It also doesn't help that he looks a lot like Kristen yeah. and is often in similar costuming. <laughs> and uh, yeah, and maybe there's a sort of deliberate point there where, like, I guess Rainier has a type, you know, <laughs> um, right. well, that isn't, you know, her uncle. Um, uh, so yeah, I, I wish they had put that foundation down a little bit better there's nothing from the past five episodes that i would have excised in favor of that but maybe to find a way to just integrate him a bit more so when we really realize what's going on where he has these it's a tragedy he has these children who he can't call his children who you know he can be close to in some ways but always whispered about um and i think that there would have been more depth to that um if if we knew him a bit better
0: I'm of a couple of minds about this because this is something that we've, we've talked about a bit of one of the things that the Game of Thrones universe does so well is they throw a character out at you that feels very realized, that feels like you could follow their exploits into a different adventure. Uh your Rhea Royces of the world uh, as a most recent example. And I think Breakbones fulfills that. I think that... There's so much to this character, especially with his role to with Rhaenyra and his role as um his relation to these three children. Especially that there's more to explore here. There's more to more to more to unearth. Uh, and yet, this is how you get to care about these characters being removed from the board and what that means for the people that they leave behind. That being said, I absolutely agree that more work could have been done. I I love Breakbones in the book as he is written. You know he this uh, roughly around this same period of time is is when he is written out of the book but i think the book just makes him so much more of a clear character and part of me wonders to your point of not excising anything from the previous 5 episodes maybe can we push the breakbones death a little further down the road like can that be in yeah. episode mm-hmm. 7 kind of deal
1: yeah i mean i think that when i reviewed this the show and i had seen the, the first 5 episodes um one of the, the bigger criticisms I had for it was that unlike the original series, which really took its time laying track, you know, um, things happen suddenly on occasion. But like there was a lot more build. And I think this show is moving at a, at a swifter clip. And, you know, something happens two scenes later, we see its consequence, you know, and someone says something two scenes later, that thing is addressed, you know. And and, right. I, and I think that with this, it's like we could have sat with Breakbones and his relationship with Rhaenyra and those children a bit longer just let it steep a bit more so we really feel i mean the episode is playing up this horrible death this you know fiery death as like a big moment but uh, i d- and you know i don't necessarily i didn't feel it i guess and i kind of wish i did i don't think you're going to be alone in that uh, i i really liked what uh, ryan
0: core the actor was doing with breakbones the goofy grin him meeting rainier in the uh, the alleyway of king's landing his father who also we are losing in this episode giving him that curt nod of instruction of, yeah, go break up the fight at the end of the wedding. These mm-hmm. were all really fun details for me as somebody who knew that our time with Breakbones would be short. I just didn't think it would be quite this short. Yeah. And considering how important he is to this family specifically, I feel I do feel like we could have spent more time with him. And I also think that there's going to be a, a decent degree of the people who... Certainly the people who aren't listening to this podcast or other podcasts or you know doing their extracurriculars on House of the Dragon... Those people on Sunday nights are like, wait, this who is this guy? I don't, I don't fully understand who this guy is. Um, that's yeah. a shame.
1: I guess they kind of just wanted to get us to the point where we realize what Laris is doing and how powerful he is and sinister he is, and also we want to have this sort of avenging warrior. Yeah. Rhaenyra activated. <laughs> you know, also with Blair like,
0: it's like what he's willing to shave off. You know, like how ooh, far right. he's willing to go. That's his bro. That's his brother. That's his dad. If he's yeah. willing to do that as sort of his first major move. This might be a scary guy to 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 look out for. So, yes. Yeah. Um, okay, let's go to the dragon pit. Always a good idea. Uh, mm-hmm. As we are going to have. Uh, four of the of the children here uh, that are that are going to be newly important to the show, certainly in this era of House of the Dragon. We have two of Viserys and Alicent's children. We have two of Rhaenyra and Lenor's children, aka uh, Breakbones' children. We've got uh, Jace, who is trying to bond with the dragon Vermax to sort of solidify the deal of his bond with this specific dragon. Again, the riders really get the one dragon. One dragon will have many riders, but this is a very big deal for Jace. And it seems like everybody in the room has a dragon here. Uh, We have Prince Aegon here who is played, uh, I believe that that's Ty Tennant, who is David Tennant's son. Uh, so an, another interesting Doctor Who connection uh, here on House of the Dragon, who is playing Prince Aegon. And You're telling me that
1: wasn't Finn Wolfhard?
0: I thought <laughs> Finn Wolfhard, I could see. I was thinking some Timothy Chalamet yeah, baked yeah. into there as well. Uh, there's Aemond is his younger brother who is currently without a dragon and mm-hmm. is going to be pretty annoyed uh, when his brother and his two cousins present him with the pink dread, uh, just a flying pig. Uh, This, this kid, Amon, really is not a no sense of humor on this
1: kid. Yeah. I think that this scene is so well done because it's in, in, in quick, you know, fashion. It it really uh, sets the, the scene of this kind of social, this very weird social dynamic that these four boys have and the other kids too, presumably um, of like, this is my uncle, but I technically have more power than him because right. I'm going to pr- in the line of succession way before he is. And, you know, and 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 that kind of like moment that that um, Aegon has later where it's like it, you guys aren't just like k- friends playing around anymore. Like this is we have to think about this seriously. And I think that that the scene in the dragon pit does a really good job of showing that they are still young. They're still pulling stupid pranks, but there's a new tension to that that they really need to be more cognizant of.
0: Yeah, I think also it's it's a really great job on the show as part of setting this here um, for you know the like the courtyard battle that we're going to get into a few scenes from now um, of just the generational trauma that's trickling downhill, right? You know, yeah. uh, Rainier and Allison were in many ways not responsible for the positions that they were that they were in, and the the increasing tensions based on the positions that they are they are put in, whether that's by birth in the case of Rhaenyra or appointment and, um, you know, manipulation by the part of Allison's father. And now here they are with their own kin, with their own children. And this, this, you know, this tension that Allison especially is going to be instilling in Aegon a few scenes from now uh, is uh, it's, it's just, it is happening again, as they say on a totally different show.
1: Yeah. 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 And you feel for them. I mean, that's, you know, even though we see two of the kids being, you know, jerks in the scene, like, I, I was thinking about this recently because of the death of Queen Elizabeth and and now we have King Charles and like that those kids and Harry leaving. It's just like what a shitty thing to be born into in a yeah. way. You know, you can. Ha- yes, you, you're rich and you have privileges and all that stuff that that helps um, probably better that than being in Flea Bottom or whatever. But like. It just it's, it's 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 weird to think about in real life and also in the world of this show of like that moment where you're like, all right, now I have to actually think about the what I was born into and what my role is, and I have to kind of forsake basically the rest of my life um, to to just like devote myself to this kind of dynasty, I guess.
0: Yeah, um, Amond is not going to be content with the arrival of the Pink Dread. Uh, Amond wants to go deeper into the dragon pit. I think Ron Burgundy would tell him this was a bad idea, <laughs> yeah. uh, but he is going to descend deeper and deeper towards this groaning, glowing, uh, you know, lure down in the, in the bowels of the dragon pit. And he will see this one dragon that nearly roasts him alive. Uh, and Eamon is lucky to escape with his life intact. Uh, and he, when he is getting chastised by his mother, one scene later, uh, he does not seem to have really regretted his actions. I don't know how much he learned from trying to woo this dragon, Richard.
1: Yeah, and it seems this is not the first time this has happened. You know, this is a pattern for th- for him. And uh, yeah, I'm, I'm I'm curious. Like, you know, I remember watching the original Game of Thrones and being like, "Is Tommen ever going to be like in in this?" Or I forget right. the daughter's name. Um, oh, uh, Marcella. Marcella, who you know, and they they have their moments, both and tragically. Um, but like, I I think that these scenes with these kids, are, are, I, my hope is that they're telling us that like these are going to be major characters going forward. That this dynamic is really important. Maybe not necessarily this season, but like we need to get to know these people um, it, to better understand where the story's going.
0: Yeah, I think that uh, you can count on some of these characters being fleshed out a, a good deal more, especially with the way that time has been. Moving. And what I'll say is while the big, big recastings of Rainier and Allison are underway, we do not have other actors that are going to be stepping into those roles. Um, some of these children, at the very least, you will see other actors at a right. certain point in time. So you can look forward to that for sure. Uh, I thought it was very interesting, the scene with Allison and her daughter, Helena, uh, who is... What is she doing? Just studying, studying bugs? She's I learning so. the way of the leeches, Richard, <laughs> so that she can... <laughs> She Better wants to be one of those creepy father? maesters
1: who, like, <laughs> like, skulk around the castle or something. Yeah, uh, runs, yeah. runs in the family. Maybe, maybe it is for dad. Yeah, that could yeah. be it.
0: Uh, she has an interesting line when Allison is talking to, to Eamon that, that I clocked, that I just want to put a pin in, uh, where she tells her son, Allison says to Eamon, you'll have a dragon someday. And Helena sort of just offhandedly is minding the worm she's looking at. and She says, he'll have to close an eye. Um, we'll revisit that. We'll see what that looks like at another point in time. Mm, okay. Um, Alicent is going to confront Viserys about the idea that these children, uh, that Rhaenyra's kids do not belong to Lanor. Uh, Viserys just wants to talk about horses. he will do anything to talk about how, uh, don't even think about that. That's not a thing. Uh, they're, they're Lanor's kids. Let's not look at this. These are wild accusations. Just put them away. Uh, don't even think about that. Um, I think of Viserys 10 years down the line, who is still really set, Richard, on Rhaenyra sitting on the Iron Throne. He does not want to engage any of this. He he wants nothing to do with this discourse.
1: He Yeah, I mean, I think that that is born of a genuine love for his daughter, but also he doesn't want to admit that he kind of screwed a lot up when he made that decision. And it was it was probably the right decision, you know, in on principle, but like it's already created problems it's about to create a lot more you get the feeling and uh i think he's just like la 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 no no it's fine everything's fine we're all one big happy family don't worry about it sometimes a black horse can give birth to a brown horse or whatever you know he's he's just kind of saying like i I don't i don't know what you're talking about i don't see any problem yeah but he does Uh, and i think he does deeper down know that like this is a really messy situation that he is at the center of
0: I think we've talked about this a good amount of uh, Viserys knows the landscape. You know, these things aren't necessarily getting by him. I think he is just somebody who has been so overwhelmed and ill suited for this job to do anything uh, about some of this stuff. Uh, So I I think that that read uh, resonates within me in terms of how I'm reading Viserys. I think if he really was alone and he was allowed to really confront it, I think that he would see... That Rhaenyra uh, and, and Harwin are uh, are a thing, uh, yeah. and that these children are the product of that relationship, as opposed to Rhaenyra and Laenor. But to admit that, it's just too much. It's too much. the The way that that all falls apart, all of the untethering, all of the all of the knots to untie from something like that uh, makes the the Miranese knot that has prevented George R. R. Martin from finishing his book series look pretty easy to untangle in comparison. <laughs> yes, indeed. Yeah. Um, so Allison is going to vent uh, with Kristen Cole uh, that, of course, the king knows he's just making excuses. He's really on her side and he has some horrific things to say about uh, about Rhaenyra. He calls her brazen and relentless, uh, a spider who stings and sucks her prey dry and then says something that crosses such a line that uh, even Allison can't weather hearing that uh, yeah. about Rhaenyra. Uh and and Kristen has to say that's beneath me, Your Grace. I, I apologize for that.
1: Yeah. And in the U.K., that word carries a little less weight than it does in the U.S. and per- presumably in Westeros, but we're not going to say it.
0: <laughs> we're not going to say uh, it. It uh, shan't be uh, me who is yeah, – yeah. uh, I'm, I'm grateful that you have accepted yeah. me into your home here at Vanity Fair. <laughs> right. uh, I'm not going to be the one yeah. who does that on a Vanity Fair podcast or any podcast.
1: So uh, my question about this scene and about Kristen in this episode, or and maybe going forward, is, is this all pettiness about Rhaenyra breaking his heart? turning down his proposal or does he now care about like propriety of the kingdom or, or of, you know, or is he like sworn in, in sort of not just in word, but also in like feeling to Alison. I don't know yet, but like right now it's funny to watch this sexy noble character from earlier episodes become this petty, like, like kind of angry kind of (laughs) incel adjacent. Yeah.
0: I mean, take it, take adjacent out. I think. Um Yeah. I, I, it's it's really fascinating to me, and it's something that has has uh, I think it's not wor- it has not worked absolutely for everybody. But one of the things that I actually am quite enjoying about the time skips that we've experienced on the show is how 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 much you can like certain injuries just live with you for a long time. Um, and And certain experiences just stay with you it doesn't matter days, months, years, a decade. um You can still be living in that moment. a part of you just was was left there uh and you're you 're left to carry that with you um I think Kristen Cole still nursing the wounds that we saw him uh you know uh, sustain uh at the end of episode five throughout episode five, that carrying with him into the very next episode would emotionally track for me for sure um, how he would present that though Richard uh, to the degree that you're talking about.
1: I think that's interesting. I think that's an interesting observation like oh it's for the realm. It's for the realm. Right. Right. I think I think these scenes also do a really good job of like. You know conjuring up imagining what it would be like to just kind of age into adolescence and adulthood where basically you hang out with the same six people all the time in one and you all live in the same building <laughs> like you know it's just right. like like there, are they're, they're obviously we have really dire matters of state and like deadly things swirling around all this but some of the energy that we're seeing in in kind of a clever way is just like just bored pampered people who are like sick of each other you know right. uh and i think that that's credible to me like that these these people are not you know impetuous teenagers anymore but like they haven't really actually had a chance to like mature separate of one another and so of course these old wounds don't heal very well because there's no air to to help them heal
0: yeah but no leeches either they're all being right. devoted to the one guy All right. We've reached the scene. Uh, We have no choice but to discuss it. Um, Richard, I'm old enough to remember when uh, Prince Aegon was playing with his porridge uh, and that that was a big deal. Uh, Here we have him standing in the window doing his business uh, as Alicent walks in and I don't know. Uh, It's just a lot. This is a lot.
1: She she doesn't seem phased by it, which is kind of completely unfazed. He kind of almost seems a little unfazed as well. Yeah, I mean, he's like a little embarrassed, but he's just like, eh, whatever. Um, I would have jumped out the window, uh, (laughs) you know, like if that was me. Um, Right. But, you know, that window thing, again, we have like this show is doing a nice little job of subtle echoes. Like we have Common's End, you know, in a very similar window. Um, And this case, it's, I think, showing how that um, Aegon is um, a bit uh, high on his own supply. Like he's gazing down at his, I mean imagined subjects or whatever like and doing that and um i think again that's it's a it's a it's a bold uh way to sort of tell us more about the character but it does it's effective
0: i think it tells you a lot yeah i think it tells you um how i think it, it certainly should angle your thinking a little bit and like either it's the readiness of this guy should the day come that uh you know he is in this position where what happens when his father dies and if the worst comes to worst, as Otto Hightower has predicted, and now as Allison is going to instill in him that you are the challenge to Rhaenyra, Aegon, it's you just by living and breathing. Should that day come where Aegon needs to step into some position of leadership, either this kid is not ready for it now or it's a little bit of a window into the future of what he might be like in that position Mm -hmm. anyway, uh, which is to say, I think, yeah, I, I think the, the metaphor is very apparent of someone who could not care less about the people beneath them. Yeah, exactly. Um, so Allison is going to really try and instill this in him. Uh, you know, s- stop playing around with your cousins. Uh, stop making nice and with yourself. Rainier's <laughs> kids and yourself. Please cover up uh, and, uh, you know, focus up because this is very serious. Uh, I yeah, that's what she's trying to say.
1: She says, you know, uh, her sons are not going to be your playthings for much longer, you know, like, or, or if, the, you know, they, they aren't already, you know, and um, that I from her perspective, this is a mortal issue. Like, this is a really, really, really serious issue. And to see that, I mean, there's a there's kind of a heartbreak in there because, like, she just wants these kids probably to be, you know, just have fun with their cousins and be normal. But like they are, I guess, nephew. Right. Um, but they can't you know and uh I, you know she had to learn that lesson at a young age and she you know her son is now about that age too and she's like we have to get serious here and uh, this i i mean i think it's going to be a hard road for that kid I'm, I'm i'm guessing
0: um so we go across the narrow sea at this point we're going to spend a little bit of time in pentos and we're going to catch up with what has life been like these past 10 years for Prince Damon? And it turns out that that flirtation at the end of the wedding between Damon and Lena Valerian has manifested in the form of uh, a full-on marriage. They've got a family. They have uh, two twin daughters, Bela and Raina. Uh, and on top of that, Lena Valerion has a dragon. And it's not just any dragon. I don't know. Did you, did you clock the significance of, of her dragon, Richard?
1: She said it was the biggest, right? Yes. Um, but is there, What? What else am I missing? So,
0: so this we this this is another one where I do think I don't know what the solution is. Do we need like the the glowing title card on this one? But I think it's 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 worth really underscoring. This is Vagar, uh, the dragon. This is the oldest living dragon in Westeros. This is one of the three and the only surviving currently dragon uh, dragons that um, were part of Aegon's conquest. All the way back when the Seven Kingdoms were were united as one, and throughout her appearances on the show, uh, a couple of times Vagar has been name checked. But that scene when Lena was twelve years old and going on that walk alongside, um, I guess her future brother-in-law uh, in Viserys, um, she was asking about Vagar. Uh, has anyone seen Vagar? Where is Vagar? I hear he's nesting uh, somewhere off the coast of the Narrow Sea. Somewhere between that scene and whether it had happened, um, you know, by the time we were at the wedding, I'm not sure. I don't think so as as per the show, but maybe. But somewhere between that scene when she was 12 and where she is now as Damon's wife, she has claimed Vagar, the largest dragon in all of Westeros, as her own. Feels like something that would have been nice to see on screen.
1: Yeah, yeah, because, it, I, you know, I, I still don't think I fully understand... Where her family, you know, because I, from the original Game of Thrones, in my mind, the Targaryens were the only people who rode dragons. But like, clearly, there's another family that it does, at least. And I don't quite get how, uh, Lena and her family, like, how, where they exactly fit into that sort of lore and it's power the, it's, structure.
0: yeah so It's the Valyrian descent. Uh, it's that, it's that the Sea Snake and his family, House Valerian, they, right. they descend from old Valyria as well. So the blood of the dragon runs in their
1: veins too. So the, um, the dragon is a Valyrian thing, not a, not specifically a Targaryen thing. Right, right. So okay. they
0: so they do have that connection, and they have uh, a whole mess of dragons at at their disposal uh, as well. Um, so so that I think is something that could be clearer too. Uh, mm-hmm. I think is is totally fair to level at the show, and I I really especially seeing as we we have Lena in this episode, and and then we do not um, would have been a nice thing I think to uh, to to have on the show to see. How did how did that come together? Uh, feels like a, a pretty important piece of the puzzle that's um, not all together here. Maybe some exposition further on down the line will 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 help this out. But uh, something yeah. that I felt was missing.
1: I agree. And I think in general, you know, obviously, Damon was a huge, important character in the first five episodes. And I don't think they're done with him by any means. But like this segment of this episode, all of his scenes, uh, I don't quite. I'm not I'm like having a hard time imagining where he's going to fit back in, like what his goal is going to be like, obviously, he and I would assume he and Rhaenyra still have something of a, I mean, bond or or something, you know, that with each other, even though there is obviously a lot of uh, resentment and tension between them. But like, I don't know. I'm just curious, like. So maybe this episode, it was introducing us to Damon's life and further expounding on an interesting character in Lena. And then by the end of the episode, they're like, oh, no, just kidding. That's that's all kind of done. And now Damon has to kind of reenter the the regular fold of the show.
0: Right. I mean, he it, it's like the it's the John Wick thing, maybe. Right. Yeah, you know, yeah, uh, people keep asking me if I'm back. You know, he's he's saying that he's retired from the game. Right. And and is kind of accusing him of that as well. The further that they're. Going to get into conversation. So, right now, they're in Pentos across the narrow sea in Essos. Um, they are being pitched on sticking around uh, and taking up residence here effectively. We're also hearing that the Triarchy, the same organization uh, that backed the Crab Feeder once upon a while, uh, that they have aligned now with Prince of Dorne, and they are retaking the Stepstones. And so, past is prologue, right? Uh, history is repeating in so many different ways here on the show and Damon is sort of being approached to be an ally in the situation and, and maybe help us out the way that the, ter- the, the Targaryens once did um but when Lena is going to speak with with Damon she's going to express that i just want to go home i don't want to be here i want to go back to driftmark i want my children to be raised like the the badass dragon riders that they ought to be um and for whatever reason Damon just wants to read books um It seems to be where he's he's at right now. So any kind of through line on that, you're not seeing terribly clearly right now.
1: Yeah, no. I mean, it is interesting that in some way, Damon is kind of living the life that Kristen proposed to Rhaenyra. Right. Like, let's just leave. Like, let's live well elsewhere, you know, and kind of be our own people. And even though Damon 10 years ago was so power hungry, now he's had some time away. And he's like, what was that really all about? Um, and so I'm just curious what the death of Lena will kind of reinstill in him. Like, will he just kind of take her longing to be home and make it his own? Right,
0: right. Um, so we get to this courtyard scene back in King's Landing. Um, and everybody is training under the tutelage of Kristen Cole. Uh, we have him uh, fighting off Aegon and Amond at one point. And Sir Harwin Strong, who is uh, the new commander of the City Watch, not for long, for two reasons, uh, is going to be walking by and basically saying, you're showing so much favoritism to these two. You should be being applying all of your methods to all your pupils. And yada, yada, yada. Aegon, at Kristen's urging, is going to really knock the living daylights out of Jace. Uh, Harwin does not like that. Kristen calls Harwin out as the real father of these kids. And it's a it's a whole big mess. Uh It's Kristen who is now on the ground getting his head punched in. That, at least, was satisfying.
1: Yeah, and this is not some simple fight that everyone's like, all right, break it up, break it up. You know, this is serious. This has, like, really, really big consequences, you know. And I think that the show, uh, it does that in an interesting way, where at first I was like, oh, okay, they're having a scuffle, whatever. And then only a few scenes later do you realize, no, that was a really big deal that that happened.
0: Yeah, it was it was confirmation in, in the eyes of a lot of people uh, that even the willfully blind Viserys has to kind of take pause. Not enough that he is going to, uh, you know, go the extreme route of, of executing uh, Harwin strong as his father, as Lionel certainly fears. He's going to tell Harwin uh, when they're going to speak later and, and Rhaenyra is overhearing it, that the only thing that's standing between you and the headsman is Viserys's willful blindness. Right. uh towards uh towards Rainiira and refusing to believe that this could possibly be true, but short of that, it's just so public it is the it is the rumors made manifest
1: yeah, yeah and uh you know i, I th- it 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 makes me kind of think i'm you know just a little theory I'm developing that like when it comes to it, I feel like Kristen will be dead at Rhaenyra's hands, you know mm. because my my guess is that she will be vengeful about what happens to harwin uh maybe not right away, but like this is now like now Kristen has provoked something really bad and, and kind of you can't a bell that you can't unring, you know. And um so I think that 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 schism between them is only going to deepen and can probably in classic Game of Thrones style only be you know resolved in one way.
0: I feel like this is a good moment to just address Lionel Strong, uh, who is going to try and resign uh as a result mm-hmm. of of this scene. Him, him yelling at Harwin, him taking his son aside and, and trying to instill in him the, uh, the, the consequences of what he's done, the stakes that are at play. Um, this is going to be a, a final episode for Gavin Spokes as Lionel Strong as well, who I think is a character that was really richly realized on this show. Um, one of the few people, even in his resignation, Richard, who has like the kingdom first, like the good of the realm and the nobility of the realm. One of those really rare examples of people on on this uh, on, on a Game of Thrones show that actually has something other than himself and other than his pride in mind as a priority. I hate to lose that guy. Uh, they really, they really made he specifically Gavin spoke to the actor really made me feel for for Lionel Strong. This yeah. is one character that I, I am really, I think. Uh, I, I hope that other people are sad to lose him as well, because it's a real loss. I do think it's a big loss for the show.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And and a, a tricky character in that you're like, well, OK, ha- when did he know that this was going on with his son and the you know heir to be? Um, like you would think strategically, he'd be like, I'm going to cut it off or you have to go home. <laughs> like, like, right. like this cannot happen. You know, this is disastrous for all of us. Or if kind of like Viserys, he was sort of looking the other way, you know. I don't know, and I we won't know now, unfortunately. But like, um, yeah. I mean, it's just like these people keep, uh, Rhaenyra keeps drawing people closer to her, and then not even in her adulthood now, not really thinking through what that could mean for them. I mean, and it's, and it's usually something bad.
0: Which is which is funny to 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 you know start getting into that conversation considering this next scene. Uh, where her husband comes back uh, on, the, he is not aware that this has all just happened. That there was this huge public fight, and that Harwin has basically been outed uh, as the as the true father of these kids. Uh, and and Lainor is here with his new partner, uh, Sir Carl, uh, who is uh, talking to him about the war and the stepstones, and all of this is happening again. There's a Tyroshi general with a with a purple beard who has a name that I am going to botch. Uh, Racalio Rindune, I think is the name of that character that's being referenced here. Uh, I'm gonna have to hear someone sound that out. Maybe gotta go back to the audiobook. But he's pining for the old days of war. He's, you know, he's bored as well. And he yeah. just wants to go back to that. He's done his duty, he's gonna tell Rhaenyra. And Rhaenyra's be like, you haven't really done it enough. Uh, you have to keep doing it. In fact, this is not something that you just do once and then it is over. You have to stay here. And if you're not gonna listen to reason, then you'll have to listen to my command.
1: Yeah. She's like, you've been on enough gay cruises that ended war. We're, we're, <laughs> we're, we're not doing that anymore. Not again. Um, yeah. yeah. But you see like, you know, the, in this scene and in a later one, like that she's not like n- nothing about Lenore's like private life bothers her at all. You know, right. and she's like, it's fine. I, this is what we agreed upon, you know, so long ago. It's just that like the state, the, the circumstances have changed, like wake up. You know, um and you know, he seems kind of almost like like Aegon. Lenor seems someone who just refuses to acknowledge that he is, you know, much closer to the center of all of this than he wants to be. And yeah. um, you know, I don't know. I mean, maybe it's just past history with gay characters on this show, but like I don't feel like he's long for this world in in some fashion. You know, I think I think he's he's on very thin ice. It feels like
0: he had he at the very least is not thrilled with this current life. Uh, and there's no. something that he is, he is longing for that he's not getting in this situation and whether or not he's going to be able to get that. He is going to accompany Rhaenyra to, to Dragonstone by the end of this. And Sir Carl is invited too. Uh so
1: it's funny. We'll it, see. It, 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 you know, speaking of Matt Smith, like it's, it's this arc is sort of similar to uh, the one we saw Prince Philip played by yeah. Matt Smith have on the crown yeah, uh, where it's like, my wife is the important one. I'm kind of frustrated. Like, I'm bored. I want to go gallivant around adventuring. You know, I don't want to quit the Navy, which Prince Philip had to do, you know. um, Yeah, There, there. I wonder if there was some parallel thinking there when, when this whole story was being written. First
0: gentleman, a uh, tough gig. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Tough gig, it seems like. Uh, well, speaking of Matt Smith, we are going to focus on him again uh, in Pentos. Uh, really, the point of this is a lot of what we've been talking about already, uh, is that he's just saying, I don't really miss Westeros at all. I've got really nothing there. I want to be out of the Game of Thrones. Uh, I would like to have my own spin-off, please. And I would like for it to just be me reading books. Uh, and Lena is not buying it. And I don't think that the audience is particularly buying it as well. And so I don't think the audience is particularly believing it either. But I think we've talked it through. I don't think that there's too much more to, to get into there right mm-hmm. now. Um, the small council scene, I think, is really great. Uh, yeah, and I think a really yeah. important scene, too. Uh, can I start with the unimportant piece? That Please. is... Uh, uh, I, so I, <sighs> I don't know if they'll do this on the show. They mentioned they're talking about River Run. Uh, they're talking about the Tullys, uh, you know, uh, Lady Catelyn's uh, family from yeah. Game of Thrones. And they mentioned a Lord Grover. And they mention Lord Grover's son, but they do not name his son. And Mm -hmm. I believe Lord Grover's son in the book is also unnamed. But Lord Grover's grandson and Lord Grover's great-grandchildren do have names. And I swear to you, Richard, on on all the things that I swear upon, uh, their names are Elmo, Kermit, and Oscar. No. And it's not... Uh it's it's not impossible that they will show up on this show at some point in time. Oh my gosh. Because at least one or two of them definitely have fairly important roles to play in some of this stuff and I really want to know does House of the Dragon have it in it to have Sesame Street named characters? on
1: its show in important
0: roles. Well, um,
1: Warner Brothers owns Sesame Street now, right? Mm-hmm. Like it, it's on HBO Max, so they they, could. Now, yeah. they 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 could borrow the names. That's so funny. What a little like, clearly, you know, it planted in there as a kind of a joke, but now they actually might have to do it. They might have
0: to do it yeah, that's to funny. go there. Yeah.
1: I think George was tired.
0: George was tired. You know, he's trying to get books out. Um, so everybody at the small council, uh, no one's looking particularly great, which I, I thought was worth noting. Viserys is in pain. Um, there is the this this man, Lord Beesberry, who we haven't seen a, a ton of, but is a character that I really liked in the book, uh, who is thinking that there's? they're briefly talking about um, the... The, the Brackens and the Blackwoods, and that's the feud that we saw at the the start of episode four with the with the young boy who who killed the other kid um, or stabbed the other kid at the very least. Uh, he thinks they're still talking about that. They've moved on to to another subject. I think the the point being between that and the very open enmity between Rhaenyra and Allison, this is just not a table that's all together.
1: No, no, it's not, and it, it, it's a really uh, great scene for a number of reasons. But my favorite is just seeing. Um, Allison and uh, Rhaenyra, like they are powerful voices there. Yeah. You know, not just because of their stations, but because they—they're smart and they're strategic and they're—you know—they—they they think they think ahead. And um, you know, it's interesting that we spent you know so much time in the first. Well, let's say maybe two episodes of this show with everyone being like a woman ru- ruler we can't we can never do it and now all of a sudden there are two women on the king's council you know right granted it's his wife and his daughter but like still like that feels significant and um they are not uh just sort of passive members of this committee they are very much involved and uh, again i think it's it's a more it, it it shows more of the sort of interesting character development specifically for allison
0: yeah, they're the only two characters that are really talking sense uh yeah. in this scene. Uh, you know, they're they're speaking with like, you know, full volume, uh, you know, fully fully broadcasting their beliefs on what is right for the realm, the situation in the stepstones, the fact that this is rearing its head once again, it's just emblematic of no one knows how to fix the sink. Uh, and, uh, you know, they have different opinions on it, um, that Allison says that the cost of fortifying the Stepstones, it just wasn't worth it considering the funds that we do have. And yep. Rainier is the one saying fortifying it would be less expensive than if we have to go to war in the Stepstones again. Um, so it's this very cross conversation between the two of them who feel that they're both really, really right uh, in their positions. And it's Rainier who tries to smooth it over uh, by, by offering her son's hand in marriage to Allison's daughter, to Helena. We'll join our houses. Everything will be great. We will align ourselves once and for all. We'll put all of this behind us. We were friends once. We can be friends again. Um, and Viserys is very interested in this, but it is not really falling uh, on, on Allison's ears.
1: Right. So, Rhaenyra's kid marrying Viserys' kid. So, that's... We're, that's we got to do some uh, math, I think, real quick. <laughs> <laughs> nephew marrying aunt
0: uh is so right? it would it would be i think that that is correct Ooh, um,
1: okay.
0: <laughs> okay which we've done uh, versions sure. of yeah, on game yeah. of thrones yeah. you
1: know yeah it's just yeah it's very <laughs> it's just it's funny that they're just i mean i know we're just in the world of the show but they're just like there's no discussion about that they're like yeah sure of course <laughs> like, it why is, not? yeah it is
0: always worth taking a beat to just like say that out loud yeah. you know <laughs>
1: Yeah, I'm, and it's like i'm like that that meme of the lady with like the math figures i'm like it's swirling around here her, her like i'm just like wait that that is the connection right you know yeah um yeah. Yeah. I mean, and obviously that doesn't seem that proposal seems to be swatted down pretty quickly. Right. Like, or is or am I should I be keeping that in mind for the future? She,
0: she certainly says, we'll consider it. And right. vis, if it was Viserys and if Viserys was a stronger person, maybe in that moment, he would have just said, yeah, let's do this. Uh, but Alicent, who has asserted herself a whole lot more, yeah. uh, is basically saying, well, we'll talk about it privately. Thank you for offering this publicly in front of everybody. There's also the moment where uh, Rhaenyra is lactating. Uh, mm-hmm. Alicent points this out. Uh, I don't know how you read this. Did you read this as uh, like a sign of friendship? Is this a, is this a, like a display of, of power? Uh, I think it's it's certainly very thematically resonant in in this room filled with men, this very personal moment that happens here.
1: I think it's a mix. It's a mix of sort of um, a knee jerk thing out of the past of like empathy and like, oh, you know, like you got something on your, you know, on your teeth or whatever. Right, right. Um, but there's also the other aspect of it, which is like this kind of performative pity like oh poor you you know kind of mean girl stuff and right um but like i think that the, both of those are in there which is you know again why this, this dynamic between these two characters is so intriguing and um i think it's going to be an ever uh, evolving thing um because there is still again some some care passing between them um i think or maybe i'm being naive um, no, I keep hope alive.
0: Uh, that's never done anybody wrong on a Game of Thrones show. Right. So, <laughs> <you know.
1: laughs> yeah, you know,
0: maybe the torch won't always be green. Um, so Viserys and Alicent, they will, they will go to Viserys's chambers. And yeah, I guess she does basically outright say like, yeah, that deal is going to be done when I'm in my grave. Uh, you know, she's yeah. really, she's really out on it. Um, Lionel is going to come in. He's going to try and resign and Viserys, short of hearing Lionel outright say the reason. He wants to hear the words. Uh he wants to he wants to hear it in, in plain English. Uh, why are you resigning? What is this huge rumor? Uh, what is this huge shadow that has been cast over you that is causing you my by far most trusted and most effective advisor in my entire reign? Mm-hmm. What is it that's causing you to resign so suddenly? And Lionel, out of protection of his son, uh won't say it he won't say the words
1: so he does not get to resign your resignation is rejected just two grandpas you know (laughs) talking to each other (laughs) Mm -hmm. not talking about the grandkids even though they have the same grandkids but (laughs) yeah 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 yeah. uh and yet you you do feel for lionel because it's like what an impossible situation to be in you know like you do this and that looks bad you do that and that looks bad. you know it's just like there's no winning really um uh and uh you know i I, is this the moment you think where Viserys is kind of lifting that veil of willful idiocy. Like, do you think he actually wanted to hear it or hard to say? I mean, because I think if, if Lionel does
0: say it, Viserys, especially with Allison in the room has sort of like, I don't know about that. I don't know if there's an exact action plan that's in place, but one thing kind of follows the other, right? You know, and I don't know that that's the way he wants this to go. Um, so I'm not sure what he's hoping for from, from Lionel. Um, I don't think he wants to hear that. I don't think he wants to be right about this.
1: Um, no, but I mean, he gives he's, him the opportunity. He's a meeker guy surrounded by a, a lot more aggressive people, you know, and, um, I, you know, we haven't really seen him. It's not like, you know, opening part of Game of Thrones and Ned Stark beheads someone, you know, like 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 Viserys is more it's gentler and and whatever. And um yeah, I think a big part of him not wanting to acknowledge it, he's like, well, then I have to do something about it. You know? right. <laughs> you know? and, right, yeah. And, and I would, it's, I it's taking really care of for him that. in a way.
0: <laughs> yeah, right, exactly. But I, I think that Lionel Strong in this moment is a is a very compelling mirror to to Otto Hightower, who is going to be evoked in, in just a second here, uh, about a lot of where we are right now. You can lay at the feet of Otto Hightower. Viserys certainly did when he fired him, right? How much of this did you see? How much of this did you know? Uh, how how much did you put on on my path of putting Alicent here and having your grandchildren? Uh, you know, potentially be in line for the Iron Throne. How much power did you know you could go and grab? Where here you have uh, yet another hand of the king who also has the king's uh, shares, the king's grandchildren, uh, who can't really, who's not comfortably living with that, uh, who does not have these grandchildren because of some grand design of his, no. some mm-hmm. angle at the throne. Uh, and in fact, almost Kristen cole cannot help but you know come out with the truth or close to the truth. Um, I just thought it was a really, really interesting mirror of those yeah. those two characters. We are going to go and see. Uh, We're going to go and see Lionel Strong's other son, who we have not seen in this episode yet, and who has been slowly tiptoeing his way into the narrative, and then decides to just cannonball into the pool as of this episode. Laris Strong, aka Laris Clubfoot. Who I guess is Allison's dinner buddy. Uh, they they yeah. dine together with some regularity. It seems.
1: Yeah, their their dynamic is is uh yeah. I don't really know what to make of it yet. Like I, it doesn't seem like it's romantic. Um, but you know, we see Laris. You know, in pre pre time jump, like give Lady Allison a really crucial bit of information, right. That has huge consequences. Um, and maybe we're to understand that in the ensuing 10 years that she was in some ways learning from him and sort of under his tutelage in a way. And, and maybe that's, that's, uh, her kind of new flintiness and cunning is maybe partly owed to him. Um, but clearly as we see in this episode, he is willing to go a lot further than she is. And, um, that, uh, you know, so I'm, I'm curious, like, did he, is he overstepping or is this like him just asserting himself that much more?
0: Right. Um, And the way he's going to he's going to talk to her about this at the end of the episode makes it feel like he kind of has the viewpoint of, no, this is what you wanted. And if you burn me, I'll burn you. And I don't really know how that's going to ultimately work out unless some, you know, some bit of... Uh, what we're talking about here of like the last decade of their relationship, how much information has been passing between the two of them? Right. What kind of, um, you know, what kind of collateral does Laris have over over Allison over the course of those years? Is there some some version of mutually assured destruction between the gossip exchange between these two people? Um, but what we get from this scene between Allison and, and Laris is Allison, once again, talking about how uh, her husband just refuses to see the truth. And that she feels like the king cannot be turned away from, uh, cannot be turned towards the truth, especially with uh, with Lionel Strong still on the council. And at the very least, if her father was here, he'd be giving him the right information. And Larys may be playing a part to a little, to a little bit of an extent, um, maybe being uh, you know authentic to some degree too. I think that they're leaving it vague at the moment. At the very least, of uh, your dad wouldn't be able to give um your husband unbiased counsel uh because he's your father and she says yeah that's the point i need someone who's going to be partial to me and laris right, will right. walk away from that interaction being like okay cool then i'll chop off the tongues of some prisoners in the basement and i'll have them burn my dad alive <laughs> right and my brother yeah my brother too if he's there
1: <laughs> yeah yeah.
0: Uh, yeah this is a real coming out party for laris strong uh you know this is uh you know I don't I don't know this is really uh you know from uh from off the backboard this is just you know he was really just lurking in the distance for a minute and now he is right in our faces
1: I don't think it's an accident that his name rhymes with Varys yes. you know um and I think the show had been needing this you know I D- Damon had sort of been the villain um but one that whose villainy was complicated and and not always you know. We we wanted a a sort of little finger creeper kind of you know almost also a little bit Tyrion, yeah Um, you know that that kind of maligned ostracized but secretly very powerful kind of figure and and I think this is a good debut I mean you know we've seen Laris before but this is really his coming out party and um and it's I think it's he's really well played by the actor uh, Matthew Needham Matthew Matthew Needham yeah um and I love the way that they uh, toward the end of this episode. You know, have him almost doing some sort of voiceover about like the perils of love and having children and all that stuff. Um, It's really he kind of is now setting this sort of thematic mood uh, for the show, which I yeah. th- I appreciate.
0: He's creepy, you know. There yeah. th- there yeah. is something very creepy about him too. As the as, as we go into the dungeons and we we see uh, everybody uh, lining up to get their tongues taken out and. Uh, he's just, you know, like gesturing people over, okay, next with his finger, you know, it is just, um, it is, it is really, 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 you know, bone chilling. Uh, and, and I think you're right. I think that this is a, this is a Game of Thrones type, uh, that we are, we are now firmly fixing in House of the Dragon. Not really the, like, you know, the tension relieving of a Tyrion Lannister, right? Like this is, this is actually the opposite of cutting through the levity, I think, <laughs> you know, like, yeah, yeah. Uh, or giving us some levity rather. Uh, still wish that we had a little bit of that. Um, but what we are getting at the very least is the schemer in the dark. You know, the, the chaos is a ladder uh, character. Uh, so right. he's climbing. He's climbing right now.
1: He doesn't want to be king. You know, he can't be. I don't think maybe maybe he sees a path for that. I don't know if that's his goal, but like better to be kind of right behind the ruler right. than the ruler itself. Pick a path and and try to make it work
0: out, I think, seems yeah. to be uh, where, where he's going. And uh, whether that's a straight line or very zigzaggy, I think, uh, remains to be seen. But I think the fact that he's going to make this move against his own family very quickly with, you know, uh, he's been in three episodes, essentially, uh, I think really indicates to us that for this character there's nothing he won't do. Uh, so I think that they very effectively conveyed that in this episode, that this guy's going to be willing to do just about anything to, to suit his needs, whatever those needs might be. Um, we lose Lena Valerian in this next set of scenes, Richard. Uh, we, we find ourselves really back in the, in the same situation that Viserys was in and that Queen Emma was in, in the pilot. Um, which uh, it dawns on me now, just like framing it that way that we are sort of in pilot number two. Uh, Once again, I think history repeating itself to a certain extent.
1: Yeah. You know, and I think there was a bit of foreshadowing where um, Lena said, I would rather, I want to die a dragon rider's death, not, you know, sort of just some pampered person sitting in a palace. Um, And then that's in in some ways what she got, you know, Uh, I didn't think it was going to be so soon, but, um, but I think it was interesting where, you know, clearly like, the the maester whoever took Damon aside he was like all right well here are our options and they're not good you know um that that the show didn't make Damon make that choice right, right. you know that that it at least gave that to Lena wh- which was like this this was done on her terms which it very much wasn't with Osiris
0: yeah uh, she she gets up and she goes and she approaches Vagar uh, and has uh, Vagar uh, incinerate her. Um, and Vagar is, is reluctant to do so, uh, that this old dragon that is bonded with Lena does not want to do it, but ultimately succumbs to the wishes of his rider, uh, and she is gone. And in the book, um, she actually does not quite make it to Vegar if I'm remembering this right. I think that she, she dies en route to, oh, to Vegar okay. but she, she does, uh, I don't remember if she had given if she had given birth and the the baby didn't survive and then she goes uh, I ha- I have to refresh myself on this portion of the book It's different though uh, mm-hmm. It's different in in this instance She gets to go out uh, the dragon rider's way uh, as you as you mentioned before um, But Damon watches that and Damon is there and I think that we are left to wonder where that's putting him and what, where that's putting his daughters and, and how they are going to fit back into the story. Obviously, all of them are just uh, brutally wrecked by what has happened here. We'll check in with them again in sort of this episode ending montage that's coming up. Um, but first, we're going to have a final meeting between Sir Harwin and his kids who don't know that he is their father, uh, at least not officially. Jace suspects it. Uh, he wants to know, is Harwin Strong my father? Am I a bastard? And Rhaenyra is going to tell him you're a Targaryen, and that's all that matters. Um, but the scene of Harwin leaving, maybe even especially now in in hindsight, Richard, I wonder if it plays even more tragically to you.
1: Yeah, no, I, I think that it, that was kind of the moment when I realized that, like, for the most part, there had been ten years of well, the closest these people get to harmony. You know, like, like yes, it was an imperfect situation, but like their dad was around. You know, they maybe they didn't know that he was their dad, and they couldn't, no one could say it out loud. But like, they were a family. And then because of matters of state and whatever, it has to be broken up. And I think that only, I would imagine hardens rain, rainier that much more. And uh, she had her 10 years of relative, you know, comfort contentedness, whatever you want to call it. Uh, And now that is definitively over.
0: Yeah. And I think this is, this is going to manifest in the form of her deciding to leave King's Landing and, and uh, you know, go to Dragonstone and, and get out of here. And even Lainor is gonna say, but you know, you always used to say that if we if we left, then Allison is the only one in your father's ear and that could not be good for us. That could only be bad. Um, and she's kind of in a place where I, you know she basically throws his old you know adages about, you gotta drive in the storm. Is't that what all of you Valerians are always talking about? Mm. Uh, and she's she doesn't want to be here. Uh, she doesn't want to be here anymore. I think in no small part. The rumors swirling to the extent that they have. Who knows what kind of danger she could be in, especially with Breakbones gone, uh, without his uh, direct protection here as well, um, that she's lost a lot of friends here in, in King's Landing. And maybe it's time for a fresh start, or at least some measure of distance uh, between between us and them. So they are going to leave. Carl gets the invite. They're going to go to Dragonstone. And that's where they will be. They will roll up to Dragonstone in that final montage of the episode that is on the other side of Harwin and Lionel returning to the cursed castle, Heron hall mm, uh, does not yeah. stay in one person's hands for too long. So the stories go. Um, and so it really does not for, for Lionel and, and Harwin. It looks like they don't even get a night uh, before it is a blaze uh, set on fire by Laris's bumblebee crew. Um, and, this was another one, Richard. That it's left ambiguous in the book how how they died. I think that even um, Viserys is under some suspicion. Did he order this because of the rumors of Harwin Strong, and was he so scandalized by it that he did something very cowardly and assassinated these people? The show is giving it uh, giving us this is their version of their version of events. Right. Um, so I was interested to see how this was ultimately going to play out. The show is making a decision. This is Laris who is killing his family.
1: Hall is evoked a lot in the original Song of Ice and Fire books um, yes, as a yes. sort of like thematic, like whispery past kind of creepy stuff. You know, it's it, there's nothing really present tense about about it in the plot of the books but like it's 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 part of the mythology that i always found interesting so and it's it's this you know husk of an old burnt down castle kind of thing is this the fire that caused it is, is this the thing no no no, no. so okay.
0: you can see it in the shot when they're when they're when they're getting to Heron hall that it already looks pretty wrecked it's like why are we fighting right. over this place why does anyone want to live here? Um, but no, it is. Uh, it was. It was ruined in um, in Aegon's conquest in this really, really memorable way. of uh, Of uh, Black Heron is like the cruel king who is uh, who is in charge of Heron Hall, uh, and he is uh, he is resisting the conquest. And uh, he, you know, he's built his his castle in such a way that there's you're not going to melt my castle down. It's not possible. And so instead. Uh, Aegon lights it up and heats it up, and it becomes uh, uh, it becomes uh, a, a, you know the, the, the kettle boils, mm, and everybody okay. inside of it does as well, and it ah. starts to, to to melt and break down um, and this is the, the the way that it's left essentially, uh, and it just does not stay in anybody's hands nope. for too long uh, for anyone to really do any sort of meaningful repair to to heron Hall. So I do think it's it's very symbolic this this castle of a lot of the ideas that are at play in, uh, in the Game of Thrones universe of, you know, you can have the castle, but for how long? You know, you can have the throne, but for how long? And so that's effectively it. We are, we are going to see, um, you know, both uh, Harwin and Lionel desperately try to get out. They cannot. Um, they do not survive this. They are both killed in this fire. And to your point, yeah, there's this, you know, Laris's closing monologue. Uh, he does not have a mustache to twirl, Richard. No. That is the only thing that's missing.
1: He does have that kind of sinister cane, you know, that yes. he, he kind of wields. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it, it's a it's a well drawn character, an interestingly drawn character, uh, and I think that 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 sort of voiceover thing toward the end, which is so effective, um, is a really good like kind of narrative tool where it's like, all right, this is now where we're at. You know, like right. we are we are can famil- familial connections see you know matter no more you know i mean they do but like they can be broken you know and um so i think that th- that's the show telling us like all right well this is now the things are really ramping into gear uh that we have been talking about since episode one but now actually it's happening
0: yeah so
1: that is uh episode six that's the princess and the queen richard uh, I'm excited. I think this is uh, I was worried about the about the, the the transition, but I think they did it well. And I really I think more than I did for the first five episodes, like I really feel like what the stakes of this are, you know, and yeah, the big question for me is Damon. But otherwise, I'm I'm all in.
0: How much of that do you think owes to you know, there's been a lot of talk about the pacing of those first five. I think some people think it was slow. Others would say that they churned through material almost too quickly. Um, do you feel like where we are right now is really living on the bedrock of of having the time to spend with a younger Rainier a younger Allison to really understand the extent of the hurt that these characters have been living with and may as a result their internalization of that hurt could get externalized to others
1: yeah, I think that it helped i think those for the first five episodes like this is a big family saga, you know a dynastic power struggle, and I think that you can jump into that right, you know, at the climax, essentially. But I think it's it's better storytelling to 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 li- to really like spend some time getting to know people and uh, not every character certainly, but like the, the really important ones. Um, so then that the payoffs are that much more satisfying, and and you know the surprise is that much more surprising. And um, you know, this is a show that is in theory going to run for seasons, and so. Um, we had just have to kind of, we're, we're settling into things, you know, even though I feel sometimes the plot and in individual episodes can feel a little bit hasty, um, t- from a step back, I think the show is, it's very like patiently drawn. And so I appreciate that we spent all the time in the younger years because it, you know, it registers that much more keenly now.
0: Very curious to hear what everyone out there listening to still watching is thinking about the time jump, thinking about the ascension of Emma Darcy and Olivia Cook to the roles of Rainera and Allison. Please write in. We'd love to hear from you. Still Pod at gmail.com, still at gmail.com. Your thoughts on those questions and anything else from episode six and, and where we might be barreling towards. In episode seven and beyond, uh, I could tell you based on the title of next week's episode, Richard, we probably know where we are
1: barreling toward Driftmark uh, is the name of episode seven. Yes. And we haven't seen the sea snake in in, the, the, in the 10 time years. Jump yet, right. So a <laughs> like, solid w- decade. You know, he has a dead daughter now, a son who has had to essentially kind of not flee, but like leave King's Landing. Um, I think he's going to come roaring back. I think that that's a fair assumption. So we will see what all
0: of that looks like when we reopen Still Watching next week. Between now and then, Richard,
1: where can folks find you and what do you got going on? Uh, just at VF.com, uh, writing reviews like normal. I think I'm going to write something. I'm going to go see Avatar 3D, the re-release in theaters. Ooh, and see if, you and see me if both. The, <laughs> yeah, uh, the movie, I haven't seen the movie since I saw it in theaters however many years ago. So uh, people can keep an eye out for that in the coming weeks. Amazing. Very fun.
0: Uh, you can find me on Twitter at RoundHoward. You can find me on VF.com as well. Recapping House of the Dragon here each and every week, including next week when we come back for Episode 7. Before we close out, huge shout out to the great man behind the scenes, Dave Gonzalez, the true secret father of still watching, <laughs> without whom this podcast would not be possible. So thank you to Dave for making this podcast come together. We will be back next week with more still watching House of the Dragon. Until then, everybody, take care. Bye-bye. I'm Alex Schwartz. I'm Nomi Fry. I'm Vincent Cunningham, and this is Critics at Large,
1: a New Yorker podcast for the culturally curious.